Thank you, Father, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, today we submit ourselves to it so it could divide and open and show everything in our heart. Lord God, we want to be different when we leave this place. So we ask you right now, Lord God, to operate on us. Lord God, put more of you in us. Take more of us out of us, Lord God. And we promise, Lord God, to give you the glory. Father, I ask you to wear me like a glove today, that you'd be the substance of everything that's said and done, and that every person will hear your voice. Beyond mine, beyond my words, Lord, they will hear the Spirit of God speaking to them clearly. We ask all this in Jesus' name and everyone say, Amen, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Man, happy 4th of July weekend. Woo! Man, this is awesome. This is a, a, a great day. Um, you know, Pastor Sarah told you about our, our fireworks yesterday. I want to let you know that it was a fireworks fiasco yesterday. Um, you know, Pastor Evan was, uh, he was lighting some fireworks. There were more fireworks on the lawn than there were in the sky. And um, so, you know, I, I, you know I, was, I was kind of from a distance watching. And can I tell you something? I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. This is a disaster right here. Um, all these Jamaicans trying to celebrate 4th of Ju- I knew something was going to go wrong when Jamaicans try and celebrate 4th of July. Today we're going to be doing uh, part two of a two-part series on that thing that has the potential to kill everything good inside of us. And that thing is, come on, say it loud, pride, pride, pride. And so uh, uh, we started, it's called Prison Break, we started last week, and uh, this is a series based on a series from Pastor Andy Stanley, and what we discovered last week is that we all face that thing inside of us, and we're not talking about the pride that makes us proud of our children, but the pride that actually causes us to overcoach our children. Anybody know what I'm saying? You know, you weren't an athlete, but by jolly, Johnny is going to be an athlete, and so we can't coach him properly. We have to overcoach him. It's not the pride where we're proud of our spouse, but the pride that stops us from apologizing to our spouse. It's, it's not the pride that is we're proud of our work, but the pride that causes us to ag- exaggerate our work when we're telling other people about it. It's the pride that we realize that pride actually imprisons us. Pride is a prison. And what it does, it locks us in and it locks God and others out. And so today we're going to be looking at how to stay out of prison pride. How to stay out of prison pride. You know, there were some guys who uh, got out of lockup the other day. I don't know if you saw that on the news. And, um, and they kept going for, for like three weeks. Um, but they didn't stay out. They got caught. And uh, it was up in New York. And, you know, they found a way to get out, but they didn't find a way to stay out. Well, today I'm going to help you to stay out of pride's prison. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, what I'm going to talk about today are three things that sets us up to be locked up in pride's prison. Three things that sets us up to be locked up in pride's prison. And the three things are power, possessions, and prestige. Say that with me. Power, possessions, and prestige. 
And now power possessions and prestige are something that sometimes some of us walk in all three of those. Sometimes we walk in it from time to time. But power is any kind of authority, any position, any title that you have. If somebody's under you at some point, it could be in your house. You have power over your kids. It could be on the job. You're a supervisor. You're the boss. You're the guy who pays the check. You're the guy who does, you know, you're the girl who um, owns the salon. Whatever it is, you're in some position of power. Or it could be that you're uh, in this uh, possessions, you have possessions, you, you have the car or the house or the, the things and you have the clothes and you have the style and you have all of this thing. And somehow you step into sometimes circumstances where you have more than the other person who you're with. Or the other thing is prestige. Sometimes prestige comes because you're popular, right? You have more followers, more fans, more likes, more mentions. You know what I'm saying? You're the, you're the person who has more, you know, you just have more. Everybody knows you. Or you're pretty good at this, so everybody looks to you. Or you're more intelligent, you're more talented. You have something that makes you a little better than the people you're around. And every time you're in situations where you're a little better than the people you're around in some area, there is this big, big temptation to walk in pride. So... We've got to learn how to stay out of it. We're going to talk about two people today. Um, the first one is a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to talk about him in, in Daniel chapter 4. But Nebuchadnezzar teaches us this wonderful lesson. And the lesson he teaches us is that when or if we are a king, it doesn't make us the king. Being a king doesn't make us the king. Say that with me. Being a king doesn't make me the king. So the background of this story is that in about 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were like at the height of its glory. And Babylon, what they did was they conquered all these nations. And one of the nations that they conquered was Israel. And the southern part in Israel, Israel was divided into two parts. A northern part, a southern part. And the southern kingdom was taken over by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And so was Jerusalem. And they took all these valuables from Jerusalem. And among the valuables that they took were the brightest Young men in all the land. The brightest young men. And um, of these brightest young men, there are really four, there are these four really popular guys. And you probably know them. The first one is Daniel. And then the other three that always get mentioned together, there are Shadrach, Meshach, and... Yes, Abednego. And so all these guys get called into Babylon. And he takes them, this is what Nebuchadnezzar would do, would take the brightest and the smartest, the most intelligent, and he would teach them to speak like a Babylonian. Talk like a Babylonian. He'd give them Babylonian names. He'd cause them to walk like an Egypt, Babylonian, right? <laughs> and so they would, they would all then become a part of his court because he was trying to build Babylon into this great empire. So he would just take the best of the best of the best. Well, a short time after he became king, he had a dream. And uh, so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he goes to his, his dream interpreters, his wise men, and he wants them to interpret his dream, but he doesn't want to tell them what the dream is. Because he knows that they'll just make up something, kind of like Miss Cleo. Just call me. Call me, call Miss Cleo. I'll tell you your dream. Right? He just, he just thinks that these guys are going to trick me. They're just going to come up with something. So he says to them, tell you what. I had a dream. I'm not going to tell you the dream. You tell me the dream that I had and tell me the interpretation. How many of you know that the guys were like, are you crazy king? <laughs> 
He said, only the gods could actually do that. He says, well, tell you what, if you don't do it, I'm going to cut you up and burn down your houses. Well, now everybody's scrambling, right? And he starts cutting people up because Nebuchadnezzar is kind of a weird guy. So he starts cutting people up. Daniel finds out about him. Daniel's a part of the court. So Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, um, King, give me 24 hours and I and my God will tell you what the dream means and what it is. So Daniel comes back and he tells him the dream and he tells him the interpretation. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, only the God of gods could reveal this to you. Daniel's God is the God of all gods. We're going to worship him. All right. A few years go by. And what happens with Nebuchadnezzar? Well, all these people around him say, man, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the greatest king. You're awesome. You're the, you're the man. You're, you're almost like a god. You know, Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? You're right. Let's build a statue. That looks just like me. Let's put it out in the field. And then when we play music, let everybody bow down to my statue. Well, we don't know where Daniel is in this whole story because he's on vacation or maybe somewhere else. I don't know what he's doing. But these now are three other heroes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? So uh, they decide they're not going to bow. And they tell the king, hey, king, we're not going to bow. So guess what? They throw him into the fire and the fire starts to blaze. But these guys will not burn. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, new rule, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's the real God, we need to worship him. And then he says, you know, I think I remember this lesson from a couple years ago. There's something that sounds familiar about this. So Nebuchadnezzar has this on again, off again relationship with God. Sometimes he's with God, sometimes he's not with God. Every time God shows up and proves himself, he says, oh yes, I worship you God. And then after a while, he forgets who God is. I don't know if that sounds familiar, but that's how he is. So about 25 years go by, and Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. So I'm going to tell you about this dream. So he has this dream, he's really afraid, and this is where we pick it up in Daniel chapter 4. He has this dream, he's really afraid, and he calls in Daniel because he knows in Daniel is the Spirit of God. So he calls him down. He says, Daniel, I have this dream. I'm really scared. I don't know what it means. I saw this big tree, and this big tree is coming out of the ground. It got so large that everybody over the whole world could see this tree. And all the birds of the air would, would be in this tree. All the beasts would be under this tree. This tree was magnificent. And then there's a voice from heaven that came down and said, Cut down the tree. And then the tree was cut down. And then the tree was cut down, but the stump wasn't ground up. The, the, the stump was saved. And now I don't even know what this, this dream means. And Daniel gets scared. I mean, Daniel looks like, oh my God, this is the worst thing you could have said to me. So he, you know, Nebuchadnezzar now starts to encourage Daniel. He's like, come on, Daniel, it can't be that bad. I mean, I am King Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, how bad could it be? So Daniel says, oh King, if only this were about your enemies and not about you. Oh, that's, that's pretty heavy right there. He says, the, the voice from heaven, he says, we're going to pick it up. Uh, this is uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. And, and, and this part of the Bible, no, this is interesting. This part of the Bible is actually written by Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that interesting? This is his personal journal that he's written and Daniel puts it in his book. Uh, Daniel 4 says, Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace, and I saw a dream. So we know that Nebuchadnezzar is one of the guys with power, he's popular, I mean, he he's, has possessions, and he has prestige, right? And he says, I saw a dream which made me afraid, and, my, and the thoughts on my bed and the vision had in my head troubled me. And in verse 17, he says this, 
For this has been decreed. Now Daniel is interpreting. This is, this is what, sorry, this is what is in his dream. This voice says, For this has been decreed by the messengers or the angels. It is commanded by the holy ones. What is he saying? The cutting down of the tree is the, commanded by the holy ones. Now look at this part. It says, why is it commanded? So that, I want you to read this with me. So that everyone may know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses. Even to the lowliest of people. So he says this. This is why the tree is going to be cut down. Because you need to know and everyone needs to know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. And he gives them to anyone he chooses. Well, Daniel says to him in verse 25. King, you will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. And you will be drenched with the dew from heaven. Seven periods of time or seven years will pass while you live this way. Until you learn that. And here, let's read this again. The most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Well, it says... Daniel goes on and says, But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. That means you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. Heaven rules. I love that. Heaven rules. One year later, 12 months go by, and King Nebuchadnezzar is on top of his palace looking over Babylon. Look at this. 12 months later, he was taking a walk on the flat of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And if this was a movie, this is the part in the movie when it's going on in the theater that everybody's going, No! Because you know what's coming next. It's like that guy that, you know, you know, all the stuff is, is happening in the house and everything's shaking and they just decide to go in anyway and you're just going, no! You're just like, like there's, a, there's a horror about to take place here. And so, the Bible says, watch this, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, you are a king, not the king. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn, let's say it together, that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar had to learn. And what you and I have to learn. That my position, my possessions, my power, my prestige, is a stewardship. It's temporary. And we have to give an account. We have to give an account. That everything we have is on loan to us from Him. And that He expects us to manage it in a way that gives Him glory. 
that all that you see, Nebuchadnezzar, isn't because you are so great. It's because I allowed you to have what you have. That Nebuchadnezzar needed to realize that he's not the ruler. He's a ruler. And that God has put things in his hand that he's a manager, not the owner. And immediately, the Bible goes on to say, immediately, as soon as those words came, Nebuchadnezzar went, "Mm." That's my interpretation of what was written, okay? Like immediately, it happened. You know, and I know it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy because, you know, he's out there and he's acting like a cop. But did you know there is actually a mental condition called, what's this? Boanthropy. Boanthropy. Yep. I found this on Wikipedia, which is a source of all truth on the internet. Watch it. Boanthropy. A person in a delusional state who believes himself or herself to be an ox or cow and attempts to live and behave accordingly. You can go home and say, guess what, I learned a new word today. Boanthropy. Amen. You can look it up too, I'm telling you. Boanthropy. So, Daniel 4, further down in verse 34, it says, now this is Nebuchadnezzar writing again. Here's what he says. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the most High, I bet he did. And honor the one who lives forever. Now, now verse 37, watch this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. Watch this. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to catch this. Humble the proud. Now last week, we said that James... Encourage us, encourages us to humble ourselves before the Lord. How many of you understand that you humbling yourself is a whole lot better than God humbling you? And here's the thing about God humbling you. He will always give you time and time again chances to humble yourself. He will always show up in ways that says, you need to calm down, kid. You need to humble yourself. Because if he pulls the plug, he's pulling it for your good because he knows pride will do more harm to you than him humbling you. So he will do it in his mercy, humble you. But let me tell you something, it's a lot more embarrassing when he does it than we do it ourselves. And so God says, look, you may be a king, but you are not the king. And the power and the possessions and the prestige you have is a stewardship and it's temporary and you're accountable for it. The second lesson we learn is this, that everything I have comes from God. Sometimes we think that only means our possessions. But I'm telling you, everything, our promotions, our increase, our flourishing, everything that happens in our life, our spouses, I know you don't think so, but they did come from God. Everything that we have come from God. Here's, here's, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. Watch this. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and what? All its fullness. The world and those that dwell therein. I like what David says in Chronicles 29, 11. He says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness 
the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. So not just things He can touch, but even things that we experience. Yours, O Lord, all of that is yours for. All that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. Look at this. Uh, but who am I? And this is, they were given an offering. And here's what He says. But who am I and who are these people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For, catch this, all things come from you and of your own we have given you james 1 17 every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow or turning second peter 2 verse 1 says and his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and Godness, anything you have pertaining to your life was given to you by God. It was given. I like this scripture here. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 4 7. For who makes you differ from another? Who makes you unique? Who makes you one of a kind? Who makes you so that you have this personality and these gifts and these talents? Who is the one that makes you? But we know who that is, right? It's God. And what do you have that you did not receive? What did you, what do you have that you did not receive? He says, there's nothing. Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Why do you behave as if you created the thing that you now enjoy? Why do you act as if you're the owner when you're just the manager? You said one time, uh, at my car was in the shop and I didn't have a car. And Pastor Sarah lent me her Mercedes. I'd, 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 I'd put in uh, like a Mazda um, in the shop and she lent me a Mercedes. They start with the same letter, but it's a different car. And, and the... the uh, the, the Mercedes was, was one of those uh, convertible Mercedes, nice red Mercedes, okay? And uh, you could press a button and you know, and you go back down, right? And I'm driving around, and let me tell you something. That Mercedes looked good on me. Man, I drive through the drive through and, you know, and order stuff. And let me tell you something, man. Man, I felt good in the Mercedes. And I feel good. But you know what? Here, here's the thing. There's two things about the Mercedes that I realized um, after a while. One, when people ask me any kind of personal question when it came to ownership of the Mercedes, um, I had to say, well, it's not really mine, you see. And somebody said, hey man, how much, hey, you're selling that car? Well, um, let, let me check with the, with the owner. With the order. And, and here's the second thing. Um, whenever Pastor was around and I was in it, I behaved differently when she wasn't around. Like when she was around, I really acted like, okay, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm making sure it's okay. I, I promise nothing is wrong with it. When she wasn't around. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Because inside, once I knew the owner was watching, I had to make sure that I was going to return it in good condition. But when the owner wasn't watching, I could pretend that it was mine. 
I want you to understand that God needs you to know that He's always watching what you're doing with what He has given you. And when you have it and you know that He's watching, you stay out of pride's prison because you never think of it as if it's your own. Amen. I know some of you are like, you're like kind of like Destiny's Child. You know, the watch I'm wearing, I bought it. The house I live in, I bought it. The car I'm driving, I bought it. I depend on me. It ain't about depending on you. It's about depending on Him. Are you with me today? And so here's the deal. When we realize, when we're in that position, guess what? We become grateful, not prideful. Because we go, God, that you would allow me to manage this stuff. Oh my God. Who am I? David says, who am I that you should even give me the opportunity to have what I have? Oh, come on, clap your hands for God. He's so good. So that's how you make sure that what you own never owns you. That's how you make sure that your position never controls you. That's how you make sure that the things that are in your life don't consume you. Because you realize, I'm not the owner anyway. This is God's house. This is God's car. This is God. These are God's kids. This is God. Come on now. This is God's marriage. Listen, this belongs to Him. So He gave it. I manage it. But what, for, for what purpose? Third point. Everything God gives is for Him. Now it's kind of weird. But you remember the steward? The stewards that, that got the money from the master and the master gave them and then he left for a while and he came back? Guess what? They gave the money back to him. Everything that he gives us to manage is ultimately for him. And so we're going to pick it up with, with John the Baptist. John the Baptist second guy. So Nebuchadnezzar never learned his lesson until he went to the very end. But John the Baptist figured this out real early. John the Baptist in uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 4 and 5. Uh, the Bible just introduces him and says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, before we go any further, this is the first time in all the Bible or anywhere in history that we even know that somebody is baptizing somebody else. In Jewish tradition, the only time people actually went under the water was when they were doing a personal cleansing. So they'd go in the water and they'd come back up. If you remember Naaman, you remember Naaman the leper? He went down into the Jordan seven times and he came up shouting, Lord, heal my... Anyway, you don't know that song. Don't worry about it. But Naaman came to the prophet and said, Hey man, I have leprosy. What do I do? He says, Go and dip yourself in the Jordan and come up. So John the Baptist comes along and he's baptizing people. So he's the first guy to baptize anybody. Okay? And so the Bible then says in verse 5, Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him. Now you have to understand, Jordan is about a day's walk from Jerusalem. Okay? And for somebody to actually go out from Jerusalem to see John, they would have to walk a whole day there. 
Then, the next day, they would listen to John preach. And, and according to my mother, John preaches a lot. Because every time we talked about anything that was a lot, she would always say it was more than John preached about. Which means that John preached a whole lot. And seeing that my mother is a theologian, <laughs> I'm just going to take her word for it. So you'd stay there for a whole day or maybe two days. And depending on how many people are there, if you went there to get baptized, you could be waiting a really, really long time. So let's say a couple days go by, you get baptized. Then you have to walk an entire day back to Jerusalem. So John had a whole lot of followers. There were, a whole lot, there were thousands of people who would gather around John to watch him baptize people, to listen to him preach, to do all of that. So all Judea and even people from Jerusalem went out to him. And they were, listen, all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. There's a baptism coming up, by the way, in our church. And we won't have that many people, but it's a lot of people. Okay, so if you want to get baptized, please sign up. Make sure you sign up because we want to make sure you get baptized. Now watch this. So many people came out to see John that people started thinking maybe he was the Messiah. People started thinking, I'm wondering if, maybe, why would people travel so far to see this guy who is in all his camel clothes and all this kind of thing? Maybe he's the Messiah. And so in John chapter 1, which is where we're going to kind of read most of our, our story. John chapter 1 verse 19 says, uh, Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? That's a big question. Big question. Who are you? Because John is now in a position of a lot of prestige. There are a lot of people who are listening to John who won't even talk. Like when he starts speaking, people say, shh, 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 I'm listening. So he has a whole lot of attention, a whole lot of popularity, a whole lot of things going on in his life. So he said, first thing he confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ or I'm not the Messiah. So that's the first thing he said. Look, I'm not the guy that you think I am. A lot of times this is a struggle for us. Because a lot of times we want to be the best of who people think we are. Even though we're not. So he says the first thing. Well, so they, they, then they say to him, well, who are you then? Are you Elijah? Because the prophets had, had proclaimed that Elijah was going to come back and turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons. And he says, no, I'm not. And they said, well, are you the prophet? Moses had talked about a prophet who was going to come back. And he said, no, I'm not. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an, an answer to those who sent us? People are always trying to figure out who you are. And a lot of times our pride will define us and cause us to wreck ourselves because we now have to live up to a standard that God never gave us to live up to in the first place. And so John says, I love this. He says, who, do you, who are you and what do you say about yourself? So crucial. What do you say about yourself? Now, this is John's opportunity to say, I am John, the inventor of baptisms. Just call me John the Baptist for short. He could have said that. Instead, what does John do? John pulls some verses from Isaiah and he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. In other words, here's what he was saying. One, he was using what God said about him to define him. That's awesome. So many times we're using what other people tell us who we are to define us. What does God say about you? That's what ought to define you. 
But secondly, he was creating a powerful principle for all of us to know. He was saying this, I am drawing, all, all these people are coming to me, they're attracted to me, so that I can point them to him. I'm a signpost. I am the warm-up act for the real star. I am the guy who you're coming to see so that I can turn your attention to him. That means when I get all the publicity, guess what? I give him the glory. I make sure that they know that it's really him that I'm all about. In other words, here's what he was saying in a short sentence. I am known to make him known. Oh, wow. That's awesome right there. I am known to make him known. Everything about me, everything that I have, is all about making him known. John 1.29, the next day, right after he said this, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, or look, or see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So immediately, as soon as he sees Jesus, he points everybody to him. So the whole crowd looks around and sees him. But John is still popular. So verse 35, again the next day, so this is the following day again, John stood with two of his disciples, they were alone, and as Jesus walked by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, and the two disciples who heard him speak, left John and followed Jesus. That's huge. Because now, John's pride is about to get tested. Because here are these guys that I poured into and I've been training and I've been building up. And I say, there's Jesus and the two of them leave me and follow him. They followed Jesus, which means they unfollowed John. Any of you ever been unfollowed before? And you're like, hey, what did I do wrong? Did, was it something I posted? No. They unfollowed John. And so much so that the rest of John's disciples are like, Man, John, don't worry about it, man. We'll get you some more followers. But we're going to build you up. Don't worry, man. The ministry ain't done. Man, you just started, man. You're young in this thing, man. We got a lot of years left. We're going to do this, John. I mean, you're John the Baptist. You're the man. Chapter, chapter 3, this is so funny. Chapter 3, verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi. Now these guys are getting concerned. He says, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, the one to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing. baptizing. That was your idea. <laughs> You're the one who came up with this. We have got to do something about this guy. I mean, you are John the Baptist. He is Jesus the Lamb. Lamb. What is a lamb doing? You're the Baptist. You're the guy who invented his stuff. What's going on? And so he goes on and they said, come on, behold, he's baptizing. And then guess what he says? And all are coming to him. And John says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. He says, yes, guys, where do you think the idea of baptism came from? Him. Where do you think my popularity came from? Him. Where do you think my prestige came from? Him. Don't you understand, guys? Everything that I have belongs to Him because He's the one that gave me. I received it from Him. See, I'm the manager. 
and I must give account. It's from him, but it's for him. And so John says these famous words, and you know it. I must decrease and he must Because I'm known to make him known. And if we can keep in mind and remember who it's from and who it's for, then we'll keep ourselves out of pride's prison. See, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. It's for him. Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. I love this in Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and watch this, for thy pleasure they were created. I want you to remember four words as you think about this in your life. From him, for him. From him, for him. Say that with me. From him, for him. One more time. From him, for him. My job is from him and for him. My money is from him and for him. My talent is from him and for him. My looks are from him and for him. My intellect is from him and for him. My abilities are from him and for him. My marriage is from him and for him. My kids are from him and for him. My personality is from him and for him. My relationships are from him and for him. My dreams are from him and for him. My ideas are from him and for him. My gifts are from him and for him. My calling is from him and for him. My whole life is from him and for him. Everything, everything that we have is from him. And I'm managing it. And he expects to get pleasure from it. And if I can keep that in my mind, I'll never end up in pride's prison. Amen? Clap your hands. Let's just bless the Lord. Amen? your heads with me.